Welcome. You're listening to The Aligned Self, conversations in creating a conscious and abundant life. This is Daniel DeNovi. I'll be your guide and host. Let's see just where we can take this. Hello, friend, and welcome back. If this is your first time listening to The Aligned Self, welcome to the conversation. You know, I'm here in Fort Worth, Texas, and uh, we have a little cool down. Well, it's a cool down for us. It's finally getting down into the 50s at night, low 50s. In fact, I think it was 48 this morning. So cold, I had to break out a sweatshirt. They've been packed away all summer long, and I finally get to wear a sweatshirt. I actually love fall. I love the crispness of the air and uh, the changing of the leaves. Although in Texas, we really don't get the color change. I'm originally from Michigan, and some of my best memories is watching the maples and the oaks change color. The bright reds, crimson reds, and oranges, yellows. And I frankly had promised myself that I was going to get back to Michigan this fall and take in the color. But uh, it's not going to happen. I've created some projects that really require me to be at home and working. And one of those projects is The Vault, the membership program where I'm going to be hiding, hiding all my courses, majority of my courses, a lot of other material, and just getting that up and running, getting that filled with the content of 30 years of teaching and coaching is an interesting dilemma that I've created for myself, but I'm committed. And if you want to learn more how you can get involved, go to yesdaniel.com and check it out. I would love to have you as part of my inner circle, the inner tribe. Well, in this episode, I'm going to be talking about grief and how to heal grief, how to release grief. Now, I understand grief to be an integral part of the human experience. At some point in your life, you're going to deal with grief. So let's start out by creating a working definition for grief. Grief is the response to loss. It's the mental, uh, emotional suffering that one experiences when they encounter a disappointment, the loss of a loved one, of something that's important to them. It could be as a result of a breakup, a divorce, a pet dying, losing a job, anything that you had built up with a great amount of expectation that it was going to be a particular way. And then suddenly that possibility was cut off. And the resulting pain from that disappointment, from that expectation dashed upon the rocks is very acute and very poignant. Now, As I proceed, understand that everything I'm going to talk about is my point of view. And it's in me living, you know, 60 plus years now and having a number of family members pass away, friends pass away, and it seems to be in increasing numbers as I move forward in years closer to the 100-year mark. Former classmates, friends, actors that I grew up admiring and emulating are leaving the planet in increasing numbers. So I have my personal experience, my personal way or methodology of working through this. I've also counseled a number of clients over the years in moving through their grief and learning to 
accept it and release it. But with that said, I understand that every person's experience of grief is going to be an individualized experience, a very personal journey that you move through. So while I'm going to give some a prescription on how to handle it, how to move through it, how to heal it, how to heal the loss, give yourself permission to go at your own accord, to do whatever works for you. And even though I get through grief relatively quickly now, that hasn't always been the case. So no matter what you hear from somebody else, no matter what you glean from me, there is no real limit on how long is appropriate to grieve. In fact, I've had experiences where I've come to terms with a loss, I've moved through the grief, I've felt really good about it, or at least have put it in a place where um, I can move on. And then something will come up, or I'll have a memory or a glimpse, and it bubbles back up to the surface. And then I have to go through the process all over again. But that's the human condition. You know, as we go through personal development, as we uncover and heal our old stories, it's like a layered onion. As we peel back the layers, sometimes we have to go really, really deep and when things come up to the surface in a new way from a different perspective. And that's part of healing. That's part of growth. Just understand that that could be and is par for the course. So as we proceed here, I'm going to look at grief from a few different perspectives and hopefully uh, dispel a couple myths that a lot of people hold around grief and the process of grieving. Now, a lot of people feel that the depth of your grieving is reflective of the depth that you loved, and that's not necessarily true. We feel that if we love them, unconditionally, if we wrapped our life up around them, that if we lose them, that a part of us is gone. And so to adequately display our love, we feel we must grieve and show our misery, our loss. That's not necessarily true. So understand that love and grief or suffering are two separate emotions and do not go hand in hand, and one does not validate the other. Another myth is that people feel that they're grieving for the person that died, that in somehow their life was cut short, it was unfair, uh, they suffered either how they died or when they died, the circumstances in how they died, but I don't feel that's true. And this is one where you're free to disagree with me. But in the meantime, I'd like you to just entertain this perspective that you never grieve for other people. You can be empathetic, but what you're really experiencing in that suffering is the pain that you feel for your loss, for what you no longer have in your life for what you no longer seemingly have in your life. You basically feel really bad for yourself, for what you no longer have access to. So from my perspective, grief is a very personal experience. It's a selfish response to loss. 
And when I say selfish, I'm not like pointing my finger, shagging, you know, wagging my finger at you, like shame on you. It's just a selfish indulgence. And I'm not putting down selfishness. I think selfishness gets a bad rap. But it's understanding the locus of control here. It's your response. It wasn't foisted upon you. Your response wasn't dictated by anyone else other than you. Now, the part of the human adventure is experiencing disappointment. And experiencing loss is a big disappointment. And whenever we experience that loss, that disappointment, uh, an expectation unfulfilled, there's pain. There's definitely pain. But grief is that resistance to being with the pain. Grief is that it's the misery that we struggle with and suffer with in our, our unwillingness to accept it as a final statement. Buddha said something about suffering that I think is so spot on and is intricately woven in this message. It's that suffering is your inability to release your attachments. And when we talk about attachments, I'm talking about expectations. We have a certain expectation that life is going to be a particular way. We have a certain expectation that someone or people are going to be in our life forever. And one of the things that has prompted this this conversation is that one of my friends and listeners um, experienced the loss of a pet, someone that was a friend and companion to her for many years. And I say someone, because until you have a pet, you realize that each and every one of them has a personality. And they have a way of connecting with you in a way that goes beyond the fact that they're an animal versus a human, you have a relationship with them. And unfortunately, you know, a pet has a much shorter lifespan than we do. A dog or a cat is doing extraordinarily well if it goes beyond 15 years. So the loss of a pet, the loss of that connection is inevitable. But knowing that doesn't make that loss any easier to go through. I've had a number of dogs, and in my adult life, I've had a number of cats. We currently have three cats, and each of them are loved, and they have their own unique personalities. We also have a sulcata tortoise, also known as an African desert tortoise. And I have to admit Having this tortoise as a pet, it roams the backyard, eats the grass, has reshaped my my concept of longevity. See, this tortoise we've had now for 12 years, it's still considered a juvenile. It actually won't reach its sexual maturity until about 30 years of age. And while he's already 50 pounds, he's probably going to increase in size by a factor of four and live to be at least 100 years old. So given that I hopefully cross my fingers, have another 40 or 50 years on the planet, um, he's going to outlive me. So I'm in the thinking of a succession plan for this tortoise. And before you think it's just a reptile, a cold-blooded animal, 
Lou, and that's his name, Lou has a distinct personality. He loves to be around people. When we're outside, he'll come over and hang out by us. We'll scratch his shell. We have a relationship with him, and I care for him. And I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that even though he's a reptile, even though he's an outdoor pet, so to speak, if something happened to him, it would bother me. And I would have to go through this process of grief. Now, most recently on a personal level, last February, February 2021, I got word that one of my best friends, a friend that I had had in my life since 1989, had died suddenly in a skiing accident on February 9th. I found out on February 10th, and frankly, I was shocked. He was six years younger than me. I did not expect him to be gone. I did not expect him to die, especially not doing something that he was really good at. But he struck a tree and died almost instantly. And oddly enough, the night that I found out on that February 10th, our bunny died. Our white bunny named Albert, who we had had for nine years. I found him dead in his cage. And at that time, the Texas Big Freeze had already started. And so we ended up putting him in a, in a shoebox. And then I placed him outside because the temperatures were sub-freezing. And I intended on burying him after the thaw. But the whole time, it was an odd feeling, knowing his body was out there and not in his cage. And then it would get progressively colder down in the single digits in Texas. And we had issues with the power and the heat, and it just kind of compounded the loss because our normal day-to-day was interrupted in a big way. We had several days without electricity. We were burning wood in the fireplace, and it was extremely uncomfortable just uh, from a physical point of view and uh, an emotional point of view. And then to compound it, after five days of being in the frigid cold, and then the electricity finally came back on, and the heat, the house began to heat up again, and the temperatures began rising outside, we discovered that we had a pipe that had frozen and burst, and then it began to leak, flooding two rooms, causing tens of thousands of dollars worth of damage. Now, my point in relaying this is that all three of those events and they kind of were all kind of shoved together, were outside of my control. There's nothing that I could have done to prevent it. It just was what it was. And I think that's where we need to begin when in handling grief is the understanding that we can only control so much. And when we experience a loss, the only thing that is in our control is our response. And one of the things that makes it easier to go through this process or this response process or the grief response is to understand that it is a process. I first learned about the process when I read the book on death and dying. And then there's a book called Grief and Grieving by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. Now, Elizabeth was a Swiss-American psychologist, and she worked primarily with the dying And she identified five stages of death and grief. In the beginning, we experience denial. 
we avoid the topic, we're confused, there's might be elation, shock, fear. When I remember when I said when I first heard about my friend uh, Matt when he died in the skiing accident, I was shocked. The next stage after denial is anger. And the anger may show up as frustration, irritation, anxiety, and it may just be an underlying feeling, and you don't know exactly why you feel this. And while it was brought on by the loss, you may not be mad at God, you might not be mad or angry at the person that died for leaving you. Your anger may show up pointed at other people in your life, angry with your employees or your your boss, or upset at traffic, like just oozing hostility and frustration. And many times this anger comes at a time when you think you've handled it, but you haven't yet gone through all the stages. But if you have this anger here and you don't know or can't point to the exact reason and why it's there, it's probably you're stuck in this stage of grief. If you go, are going through a breakup or a divorce, there's a period of time where you're extremely angry at the person that cut you off, that left the relationship. Then after anger, we go through a period of bargaining. We struggle to find meaning. You know, what did I mean to this person? Did we, Was there ever any love? If it's the loss of a loved one through death, like, why did they have to die? Why did, there's a why, you know, the question, why, 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 why me, why them? We reach out to others to complain and express our story, to uh, talk about our suffering, our loss. And then after bargaining, we go through or can go through a period of depression. We feel overwhelmed at the magnitude of the grief of the situation. There is a sense of helplessness and uh, hostility. I mean, we're actually more angry even on a deeper level. And sometimes we just want to run away, like get rid of it all, begin anew. But underneath it is a sense of futility in actually existing in the life the way you did before the laws. And then the final stage is acceptance. And this is sometimes the most difficult aspect for a lot of people. In fact, the way they start out the grieving process is by saying, they'll never accept this. I'll never get over this. Especially if you lose a child. And this goes back to the first myth that I stated, that the depth of your grief is a reflection of your love. That's not necessarily true. There's this idea that if somehow we come to terms with it, if we accept their death, that we didn't really love them. We didn't really value them the way we said we did. And so in perpetuating that myth, we actually perpetuate our suffering. So what I'm suggesting is that when you encounter a period of grief or disappointment, that you begin with the end in mind. You begin with the idea that at some point you know you're going to have to accept this. But between now and then, there's a process that you're going to move through. There's that that path that I like to call the getting through, the going through. 
But with that said, when we talk about the process, the five stages of grief, not each stage is visited for the same duration, or possibly you could skip over certain steps. It's just, on average, there's five steps to move through, which is helpful because you can look at where you are in the process to know how you're doing in relationship to reaching that final stage of acceptance. Now, it's something that I've done in my NLP classes is I've actually taught that, installed that strategy into my students. By And I can't go into it now, but there's actually a process where you can chain this process together and you can move through it much quicker in knowing what has to happen, what needs to be done to or what would be healthy, so to speak, to move through, to reach to a point where you can accept it. And this, the five stages of grief are really about integrating the experience, coming to terms with it in a way where you can make sense of it and not have a resulting post-traumatic uh, syndrome or ex- response. Now, the way I term that is when something happens in your life and you cannot make sense of it or it doesn't make sense in a relationship to who you think you are, then you will experience that traumatic event at the oddest times, it'll pop back up because you have not processed it completely. You haven't gone through the five phases. And again, I did promise that I will do a podcast about trauma, childhood trauma, relationship trauma, accidents, just life in general, things that can come up that can be traumatic. But this episode will do a a lot to inform you on the process of handling trauma, integrating the experience, and deciding who you want to be in response to it. Now, for a moment, I want to talk about the death experience. And I do this from the context or the perspective of a psychic, and also personally having had a transpersonal experience where I left my body and I merged with God, Goddess, all that is. Now, I've also, over the years, have had friends that have had NDEs or near-death experiences. And one of my friends is a former president of IANS, which is the International Association of Near-Death Studies. And she was the editor of 40 years of research into NDEs, where there was thousands of interviews worldwide that were compiled, the results were compiled, and there was a, a snapshot taken of what is it like to die and then come back to life? What is the death experience like? So as a psychic, as someone that has spoken, interchanges or interacts with uh, those that have gone beyond, as well as, you know, my friends and research into NDEs, I have a particular perspective on death. And many of the people that go through grieving have this wondering, is my loved one okay? Where'd they end up? Well, this knowing may fly in the face of what's been taught to you in the past, but there is no such thing as hell. There is no purgatory, at least not once you die. When a person leaves the physical form, they re-emerge into the infinite, into God, God is all that is. They are in the unified field. 
And this is where it might get a little tricky here, but they actually lose their identity. They are re-immersed into the infinite, into all that is. And instead of a singularity, they become connected to everyone and everything. But part of their consciousness is still identified with that point of consciousness, the personality that they were in this lifetime, as well as every other lifetime. And so what is referred to as a spirit or communicating with spirits, we actually are only communicating with a small aspect of a greater whole. And while sometimes they'll still be working through that personality side of it, the greater whole of them is connected to the divine. And just like you in physical form, there is an aspect of you, your higher self, your inner being that is connected to all that is. That is the aspect that is guiding your intentions, your creations to you in this lifetime. It orchestrates the, it orchestrates the synchronicities. And while you're in your physical form, you tend to have a greater identification with your personality. Yet once you transition into the infinite, you have a greater awareness of the whole and the smaller connection to your personality. But when we try and contact a loved one or we think about a loved one, we will draw that aspect of consciousness into our awareness, into our realm, into our, our being. And that's the aspect that a medium might connect with or the aspect that we'll have an experience with. They'll visit our dreams or leave little signs about. It's that point of consciousness that is or was their personality. So there is no place that they are. They are one with everything. They are connected to everything. And so it is so much more expansive, and the feeling is unconditional love. They know that they are loved unconditionally. They love unconditionally. So it doesn't matter who they were in life. When they connect with all that is, the greater part of them feels and experiences that unconditional love. So for a moment here, I want to touch upon law of attraction. And remember that which you focus on, you create. So when you focus on the missing of the person, you experience, you actually push that point of consciousness that was their personality, that was the love that was embodied in that person. You push that away. Because you are creating the lack of. You're creating the missing. But the moment you think about how they impacted your life, what you valued about them, what you loved about them, when you remember them with fond memories, you draw their energy to you, that aspect to you. Literally, they will hold hands with you. The more you are connected in gratitude for their presence in your life, for when they were alive, the more connected you will be after they transition. And I think in some ways that's what actually creates the suffering, is when we focus on the missing of them, like no longer in our life, we generate that disconnected feeling. We actually cut them off. We cut ourselves off from experiencing them. But when we can hold the thought of them with unconditional love 
and gratitude for the value that they created in our life, then we can actually have a more profound relationship with them than we did in life. I know this to be true with my grandmother, my mother's mother, who has been a guide and a confidant. She passed away in, uh, I think, 1990. My dad more recently. And I thought about how much he's impacted my life, what he's taught me. In fact, some of the things that I communicate in this podcast are things that he taught me that were that's something that he imbued in his persona. And so by me teaching that, by me living those aspects that I know I received from my father, I get to carry a part of him in me. I integrate that part inside me and in that way. I'm never apart from my dad. In fact, he helped me just recently fix the furnace. You see, if I think I can fix it, if I think I can get my hands on it and make a difference, then I'm going to open that sucker up. Because what my dad said is it didn't grow that way. So we can take it apart. We can figure out how it works. And more than likely, we can fix it. Now, I was having difficulty. So I actually asked my dad to show me what I was missing. And it was almost like a a light bulb went off. And I had an epiphany. I know it was him communicating to me about what needed to be done. Referring to my friend Matt, I thought about our friendship, our 30-year friendship, and uh, I thought about who he was as a person and what he had to go through and what we went through together, and what did I admire most about him? I took those attributes, and I decided that I was going to make them a part of me. In fact, some of them already were a part of me, and I could just attribute them to my friendship with this man, that they, he helped develop it, he brought it out. And I could use his life as an example that he taught me this. And by me putting it in my persona and putting it out in the world, again, I was connected to him. I made him a part of me. Do you see what I'm doing here? I'm talking about how I connected and brought the attributes of my loved one inside me. And then we are never disconnected And I have the experience of their wisdom, of their energy, and their love all the time. They visit me in my dreams, and we have interesting conversations. And for me, it is without a doubt that I am connected to them in spirit. To recap this idea, the more you focus on their missing, the lack of their physical presence in your life, the greater your experience of lack will be, the greater your suffering. But if you can pull them close through gratitude and recount all the things about them that you got to experience, that you love and appreciate, that you're thankful for, the memories, the experiences, how they made you laugh, recounting those brings them in closer to you, your experience of them will be magnified. You see, if you really think about this, you'll understand it because if you were to pass away, would you want the people in your life, your loved ones, to be struggling, suffering, miserable, because you're no longer on the planet? You're off playing with God, goddess, all it is, and the angels, and, and they're on planet Earth suffering 
the fact that you're really living it up. No, you would want them to be rejoiceful. You would want them to remember you with laughter and love. Remember the good times. Remember the lessons. Remember the, you know, the wonderful times that you had together. That is how you would want to be remembered. Not through pain and suffering, but the good times, the parties that you had, the laughter, the little inside jokes that you had. Those are the things that, that you would want to be remembered for. Absolutely. I met two sisters who had lost their mother. Her mother, Their mother passed away three years earlier. And the elder sister had come to a point where she could accept it. The younger sister was still in grief. Three years later, she was despondent, basically lived in a state of depression all the time. She couldn't motivate herself to get dressed, to take care of herself. She lost her job, all because she was or couldn't accept the fact that her mother had transitioned. Her mother did not want that. She didn't want her child to be depressed and despondent and not live? No. I expect that her mom wanted exactly what I gave my dad. I acknowledged my father for all the lessons that he taught me, for the unconditional love, the times that he sacrificed, that I know he sacrificed for a better life for me and my brothers and my sisters. If I lived my life one iota below my potential, and used him as an excuse for why I wasn't living life to the fullest, he would have whipped my butt. (laughs) Which didn't really ever happen, not after age seven, but that's another story. Now, his wish for me, his intention for me, is that my life would be better than his life, that I would have more opportunity, more gifts to give to the world than than what he felt he had access to. And frankly, that's also one reason why I do this podcast. It's in order to create a body of work, an assembly of conversations that, one, further my father, further his father's fathers, and my own teachings to where I can leave a difference or make a difference for other people in the ripple effect. And again, I I don't need to know the impact that I'm making firsthand. It's always nice, but I'm not doing it for that. I'm not even doing it for other people to acknowledge me. I'm doing it for my own satisfaction and my own knowing that I'm making a difference. And the greatest gift you can give someone else is to acknowledge them that they are important, that they made a difference for you. And by you sitting in grief over them, It's not proving your love. It's actually dishonoring the value that they created for your life. Now that, my friends, is considered a reframe. It's a different way of looking at grief. Grief is actually self-indulgent. It's not really honoring the value that they gave you in this lifetime. No matter how long it was or how short it was, they left you with an insight. They left you with a perspective. They Even sometimes their death expands your perspective that they can teach you even in their transition. No person ever leaves us where they found us. 
they always impact us in various ways. And it's in our acknowledgement of the value and contribution that they gave to us. It's how we can validate their time on the planet. So I'm suggesting you don't mourn their death, but you celebrate their life. You celebrate their contribution, not only to you, but to everyone else. The world was made a little bit better because they walked on the planet. That's the energy that you want to put out in the world. That's a spiritual perspective. And I just had something pop in my head. Speaking of spiritual perspective, when you think of those that have transitioned, try and let go. And I don't like to use the word try because that implies failure. Let go of the idea that they have any physical form, that they are in a place. Imagine that they are merged with all that is, that they are energy, that they are consciousness. You'll develop a different relationship with them. Think about them in a different way. And many times when they transition, they give up any ailments that they had when they were in in physical form. They're gone. They're free. About a year ago, well, it was actually a year and a half ago, um, I had a visitation of a boy, a 20-year-old young man, who was the son of a previous girlfriend. He had died in a motorcycle accident, and he visited me while I was having my morning coffee. We used to have morning coffee together, and he talked to me about how much he loved and appreciated that time together, and then he got really excited and said, I'm in the most amazing place. And he said, I can be here or there. And it's like in an instant, the moment he thinks of it, he's in a different place or with a different person. He conveyed to me that the feeling of freedom was intoxicating. It was so expansive. And he was still like pushing the limits, figuring out just how free he could be. He was filled with excitement and possibility. He didn't see death as being all anything worse off than when he was living. But he conveyed to me also that when he was struck by the truck, and it was a horrendous accident, at the moment of impact, his spirit left his body, and then he would move in and out from time to time over the next few days. In fact, at the accident scene, there was a a woman, I guess, talking to him that called him back into his body. And then at the hospital, he was in and out, mostly observing from the outside. But while the the story of his death, I guess the facts of his death, can be is extremely unsettling, his experience was one of expansion. His experience was one of unconditional love. He didn't feel like his life was cut short. In fact, he said that it was his time. He had come here for a short contract on the planet that he had chosen his mother not only for the experience that he would have while he was alive in with her, but also to impact her. He came from a very high perspective, a very spiritually evolved perspective. So while his physical life ended at age 20, his spiritual journey was one of adventure. He absolutely had no regrets. When I was eight years old, a young man named Jeff Bird, my also my friend from Cub Scouts, who was also eight years old, he ended up dying from a cerebral hemorrhage. 
had a stroke. And he had told his mom that he had a headache, and she gave him some aspirin and put him to bed. And he ended up dying that night. And his mother blamed herself. I can remember being at the funeral at age eight and hearing her cry. I have never heard anyone as mournful or cry with that, that, oh, that intensity ever since. The pain was palpable. But it was 40 years later when I was in a gallery with the medium and she was bringing people in for me. I didn't even ask for it just because I was open. They started coming in to communicate to me through her. And Jeff was one of them. He wanted me to tell his mother that it was not her fault. It was his time to go. That she needed to stop blaming herself. And so this is 40 years later. And she had 40 years of blame, 40 years of of suffering. And her son never wanted that. He conveyed to through the medium that he also came here with a short contract. He had no intention to reach old age. But he asked me to find his mom. And I couldn't do it. I haven't been able to do it. So if you know the mother of Jeff Bird, who died in Linden, Michigan, in 1968... Let her know that Jeff is doing fine, that he loves her, and it's not her fault. It was never, ever her fault. He has always been with her. But unfortunately, through the grief and the mourning that she still holds, she has not had the experience of him being present in her life. So, what are the takeaways here? Let me see if I can recount them. One is that Death is not final. Death is transition to another dimension. And there is as much going on there as there is here, if not more. Also, a reminder that you are a spiritual being having a human adventure. You are a spiritual being immersed in the human adventure. And through death, through transition, you merge back into the infinite. You merge back in with God. And that if you want to communicate or have the experience of a loved one, focus on how much you value their contribution to your life. Focus on how much you love them as if they were here. And this is how you bring gratitude into it. Be appreciative of your experience with them. That it was divine timing. That even though we didn't want someone to leave, we didn't want them to leave the planet, We didn't want the relationship to end. It wouldn't have ended. It ended for a reason. And that reason may be beyond your grasp, beyond your comprehension. But there is a divine plan involved. And it was their journey. Again, this is part, you know, what you cannot control. They were meant to go. It was prearranged. I've never encountered communication from a, a soul that has transitioned into the infinite where it wasn't the right time. On occasion, it was a shock, or most often it was a shock to the individual, to the personality aspect, but to the soul, it was not a shock. It wasn't unplanned. It wasn't an accident. Okay, so before I end this episode, and I'm not going to do it really quickly here, 
but I have more to say. I want to talk about how to process grief, how to process the disappointment. In fact, this is how to process any emotion. So however you feel in any given moment, acknowledge it. Acknowledge it. Give yourself permission to feel it. Remember, the first stage of grief is denial. It's like basically pushing the feeling away, pushing the pain away. But the inevitable is, the reality is, it's true. So given that it's true, given that it's factual that this event happened, how do you feel about it? And acknowledge exactly how you feel. Identify how you feel. And sometimes, and sometimes we're not aware of how we feel. So not entirely. So you acknowledge where you are in that moment. And let's say it's grief. You acknowledge that you're grieving and you confirm and acknowledge, of course you would be grieving because of what they meant to you because of the loss, because you no longer have that. You can't just pick up the phone and talk to them. You can't wrap your arms around them. You acknowledge what the loss is. You acknowledge the disappointment. You acknowledge the anger. Whatever emotion is there, you acknowledge it. See, people tend to push it down, push it aside. They don't want to deal with it. And what happens is it festers underneath the surface. It finds a way to work out and and eke out in cracks in your persona. So remember, suffering is pain that is resisted. So embrace the pain. Acknowledge that you have the right to feel this way. You have the right to feel sorry for yourself. Sorry for the outcome. Even angry that it happened. Again, whatever emotions there... Acknowledge it and give yourself permission to feel it completely. And remembering Jeff's mom, who has suffered for 40 years, or this young daughter of the mother, who had suffered for three years, terribly suffered. So remember that if we're thinking about the in the context of losing a loved one, they do not want us to suffer. It's not their intention. They know that's not an expression of love. They want you to heal as quickly as possible, to accept it as quickly as possible, because they have accepted it. So proceed with the end in mind, knowing that where we want to end up is being in a place of acceptance. We want to end up being having a feeling of being whole and complete. That is the state of being healed, having the sense that you are whole and complete. But in acknowledging where you're beginning, where you are in that moment, and then where you want to end up, give yourself a timeline. Give yourself an idea of how long you're willing to grieve. How long are you willing to suffer? But also understand that you're not going to have any idea how long it's going to take to move through the process. So you just throw out a time that you feel is appropriate. Maybe it's three years. I doubt if it's 40 You're not really meant to suffer the rest of your life over a death. But again, that's your choice. So decide what seems reasonable. Maybe you want to grieve for three years. And so you bargain with yourself. Is three years enough? And then tune in inside. How does three years feel? Does it feel appropriate? 
and understand that during that three years, if you really invest yourself in the grief process, in grieving, actually being in grieving, that you may jeopardize your health. You may shorten your life. Is that really what you, your loved one would have wanted? And remember, this is you giving yourself permission to fully grieve without reserve, without restraint, however long you think it should be. If three years is too long, how about a year? If a year feels too long, how about six months? How does three months? Three months might seem a little short. So give yourself four months and then really decide that you're going to grieve and set aside the time to grieve for four months. And with no restraint, go full out. Let people know that you're going to take the next four months and grieve unconditionally. You're going to complain to people. You're going to be angry for no good reason. You're going to be angry at the loved one that left. You're going to be angry at God for letting it happen. You're going to be present with every emotion that comes up. Acknowledge it. Move through it. Give yourself permission to feel it. See, again, this time frame is giving yourself permission to actually go through the healing process. And putting a time limit on it, make sure that you know there's an end point to it. Now, if you get to the end of four months and you still feel like you have some grieving to do, give yourself another month. It's not written in stone. It's just an arbitrary agreement that you make with yourself that you're giving yourself permission to go through the process, to acknowledge it, and then reach a point to where you can let it go. You want to reach a point of acceptance. And when you reach acceptance, it's not that you will never miss the person but you'll accept the fact that it happened. You'll accept that the value that they gave to your life. You'll accept that they are no longer going to be in your life in the physical form. But you will never not think of them again. You will never not, but when you think about them, you will think about the good times. You will think about the value that they left you. They will, you think about the experiences that you had together. The fact that they chose to be in a relationship with you. Sometimes it's helpful to write a letter to your loved one, acknowledging them for all the contribution that they gave you, the moments, the the subtle, nuanced moments. Whatever is there for you, write them a letter. Get it down on paper, and you can read it. You can revisit the value and the gratitude that you have for your experience with them in your life. So again, the process of moving through an emotion, any emotion, is acknowledge it, give yourself permission to feel it, that it's a natural response to whatever went on, and then give yourself a time frame in which you will fully feel this feeling and really max it out. What I have found, rather than extending for another month, is that you can actually shorten the time period because whatever you gave yourself on the front end was more than you really needed. So before you really drop it, cut things off, accept it, ask yourself, are you willing to let it go? Are you willing to let the pain go? Are you willing to let the hurt go and accept things as they are? And I guess this is an important distinction. Accept it as it is. Accept things as they are and not as you wish them to be. You release and let go of your expectation of how you thought it should have gone. And if the answer is no, go through the process again. 
what's there, acknowledge it, give yourself a time frame to, to feel it, to acknowledge it, to explore it, and then ask yourself, are you ready to let it go? Are you willing to let it go? Because ultimately, you have to choose letting it go. And sometimes people are stuck in that thing, that mantra that I can't let it go. I just can't let it go. Well, who's in charge here? Who's doing the hanging on? It's you. So if you want to continue to hang on to it, then give yourself permission to hang on to it. Give yourself a deadline. But remember that your suffering is by your own choice. And in the end, the degree at which you suffer is not a reflection of your love or your investment or how meaningful it was to you. It's just your investment in suffering. Now, this is not all there is to say about grief or the process of grieving, but I hit a lot of the high points and a lot of the things that gets people stuck. But because grief is such a universal experience, I thought it was important that we talk about this. And I would love to have your feedback. I would love to hear how you took this or how you accepted this or did it make sense or this didn't make sense. I I would love for this conversation to expand. And you can do that by emailing me directly or join our Facebook group, the Aligned Self Podcast Listeners Facebook group. And when it's asked, how did you hear about the Facebook group? You say on the podcast. And you can reference the podcast episode there and ask your question. And I'm sure if you have the question, other people are going to have the question as well. So until next time, this is your host, Daniel Danovi, urging you to follow your bliss and live the epic life. <laughs> <laughs>